This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by False Idols, a high-stakes thriller for fans of White Collar and Homeland. False Idols is a production of Serial Box, which brings you serialized fiction from teams of today's best writers. To get a discount on the first season of any Serial Box series, visit SerialBox.com and use the promo code GEEK18. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 294 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the new Netflix series Dark, about a small town in Germany where children go missing every 33 years. And this will include spoilers for the first 10 episodes of the show, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Erin Lindsay making her eighth appearance on the show. She's the author of the Bloodbound series of epic fantasy novels from Ace, as well as the Nicholas Lenoir series of historical paranormal detective novels from Rock, which she writes under the name E.L. Tetensor. Her historical mystery, Murder on Millionaire's Row, will be published by Minotaur Books in October. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Great to be back. The next up, we've got Raphael Jordan making his fifth appearance on the show. He's written over 25 feature films that have premiered on video and cable television, including The Lost Colony, Legend of Roanoke, The Immortal Voyage of Captain Drake, Star Runners, and Vampire Nation. One of his films, Yeti, was the Sci-Fi Channel's highest-rated original program of 2008. So, Raphael, welcome to the show. Always happy to be here. Thanks. And also joining us today is Rory Carroll. He's a senior TV reporter and producer with 3 News Ireland, which is part of the TV3 group. He started out as a local radio reporter in Dublin and has spent the last 16 years as a broadcast journalist, covering everything from politics to crime. He's also a lifelong science fiction fan and longtime Geek's Guide to the Galaxy listener, and this panel was his idea. So, Rory, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks a million. And today's show is brought to you by False Idols, about an FBI agent who goes deep undercover in Cairo's glittering art world. False Idols is a production of Serial Box, a new company that brings you serialized fiction from teams of today's best writers. The team behind False Idols includes Patrick Lahir, author of Radiant Night, Diana Wren, author of Tokyo Heist, Lisa Klink, who was a writer on Star Trek Voyager, and Robert Whitman, who is the founder of the FBI's Art Crime Division. And here's a description of the book. It says... FBI linguist Leila Eldeeb is deep undercover, posing as an heiress in the Middle East. She must infiltrate the highest echelons of society in order to trace priceless relics from their millionaire owners back to illegal digs and the terrorist groups profiting from their sale. But Leila's troubled past and growing feelings for an art dealer's son begin to complicate her judgment, and when she uncovers a terrorist plot that threatens American and Egyptian lives, she must decide where her loyalties truly lie. Based on true events, False Idols is a tense, sexy international thriller. So if that sounds like your sort of thing, you can join the plot with Serial Box right now. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy listeners can get a discount on the first season of any Serial Box series by going to SerialBox.com and entering the promo code GEEK18. So that's S-E-R-I-A-L-B-O-X.com, and the code is GEEK18. The first episode of False Idols, titled Operation Cairo, is also available as a free ebook over at Amazon.com. All right, so now let's get to our panel. All right, so let's start off with Rory. Uh, I mentioned that this panel was your idea. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you started watching the show Dark and why you thought we should do a panel about it? Well, I, I, I should say I was surprised when I got your message. I think I tweeted you saying, you know, Geek's Guide, you should check out the show Dark on Netflix. And I, I was just saying maybe, you know, you might get something out of it. Then all of a sudden I get a reply from you saying, do you want to come on the show? So I was like, oh, my gosh. But um 
Yeah, myself and my wife, we watch a huge amount of Netflix, um, and we had kind of finished up binging on a show called The Sinner um, with, uh, I think it's Jessica Beale, really kind of heavy kind of a show. And then with Christmas and everything, we weren't really watching anything in particular. And then the new year came up on, on, on my screen, on my home screen, it gives you suggestions based on, obviously, what you've watched before. And it said, you might like this show, Dark. I didn't know anything about it. And I clicked on play trailer and there's this very dark trailer. It's in German. There's this creepy looking tunnel. So we just sat down one night and I pressed play and it was just, we're all in on this. It was, it was something else. It's, it's, there's a couple of shows that really have stuck with me in the last few years. Something like Handmaids. Um, we had a show over here made by Channel 4 called Utopia, a very dark conspiracy theory show. Um, and when I, when we watched dark, it was, it was just like something I hadn't seen in a long time and we were totally sucked in and, and we loved every single minute of it. Now, did it not start playing it dubbed with English voices? Yeah, I think it did. Actually, I think the trailer could have been dubbed with English voices. And personally, I can't stand that. I mean, I'm, you know, even going back a long time to I used to be a big fan of kind of Asian uh, martial arts movies, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, all that kind of stuff. And I never liked the dubbed versions. It just it didn't sit with me. It didn't look good. I know the actors are doing the best job, the voice actors, but I just I've never been a fan of dubbed. I will always go for go for the subtitles and for me i know i know some people have an issue with subtitles it's it's never been a problem for me or or, or my wife aileen you know we will quite happily sit there so it, it is the best way to watch this show i think yeah absolutely I, I i think that's the first thing to say right off the bat is that i started watching it um with the dubbed voices and like dubbing it like just for me it's, it's just super awkward and kind of drains a lot of the drama out of the scenes and even people on facebook had told me i should switch to the german with the subtitles i completely blanked and so i actually watched the first six episodes of this with the dubbing and then I went, I was reading Facebook and I was like, oh crap, people even told me about this. And so then I switched to the German, uh, which I think is a much better experience. And I apologize to Erin because I forgot to mention that to her. <laughs> so she said that she watched the first two um, with the dubbing before uh, before I, I emailed her to tell her to switch to the German. And we immediately. Well, I think you, I think you get, uh, I think you get tone and, and intonation and, you know, the original actors, they're, they're doing what they do. And someone coming along, a voice actor, I don't think they're going to get the same emotion the same feeling across yeah although i was just telling rory i went back and rewatched all 10 episodes and so i watched them all i have watched them all in german now um so i got the whole experience um but so um so obviously rory is a big fan of the show so how about uh, uh rafael what did you think of dark or just overall impressions you know, similar to, to Rory, um, I didn't know much about this at all. I basically saw it on my Netflix around Christmas, and I didn't have anything to do that week, so I just knocked it all out between Christmas and New Year's. I was hooked immediately. I didn't I didn't see the trailer. Um, like you guys, I started watching it with the dubbing and immediately regretted it after a couple episodes. I switched to the subtitles. Um, just a better sound mix and a better vibe. You know, the acting just comes across more genuinely. But um, at first I thought it was a really great atmospheric vibe. It was very, you know, kind of David Fincher, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo-esque. And um, I had no idea that it was really going to be so unique and weird. I love how it kind of had, like, I mean, to me it boils down to Stranger Things meets Twin Peaks meets Lost. You know, it's got, like, that David Lynch vibe. but It's also got, like, that uh, time travel, you know, paradox stuff going for it. So I really loved it. Yeah, Rory described it as uh, Stranger Things meets Donnie Darko, right? 
Yeah, that, that's how I said it. But thinking then about, I, I, I don't think that really covers it. Um, because there's not that sense of nostalgia that everyone went crazy about for, with Stranger Things, for example. Um, you know, it, it is in the eighties and I'm almost 40 now. Um, uh, but it, they didn't play up to that whole eighties thing, I don't think, in it. Um, and then uh, the Donnie Darko thing, it, I don't know why I came up with that, but it just, it just kind of hit me that way though. That's, that's the, that was the first two things that I thought it was a mashup of. Well, cause that, cause that film also did a great job of incorporating, you know, time causality paradoxes. I'm always a sucker for that kind of thing. So I was definitely impressed. I mean, as the show goes on and you learn each of the subsequent twists and reveals, I thought it was surprisingly intricate. I thought it was originally just going to be, you know, a, a show about some kids that disappear and, you know, the sordid undergoings in this town, but it was much more than that. Well, in, in Donnie Darko, there's this scene at the end where it's this music, there's music playing and you kind of see all the characters in, in their lives after this whole experience is just kind of wrapped up. And I have to believe that a lot of the stuff in Dark was inspired by that. Uh, it just seems really, really reminiscent of it in a, in a really specific way. And in Dark, mm. there, there's a lot of um, references to American science fiction um, movies and shows. So I, I, I would be surprised if there weren't a, uh, a little bit of a Donnie Darko, uh, you know references in there absolutely and um you know like richard kelly liked like does with his films um the show really did a great use of you know did a great job of utilizing music i mean the soundtrack and the score were great yeah the the, the intro to this i just i never you know in netflix it gives you the option to skip the intro i never skipped it i, I was mesmerized by it every single time and i know i've watched it like 50 times because i watched the show twice and then i just watched it a couple more times for fun um but yeah, so the, the music is just fantastic in this show. I agree with that. I think we should mention, too, that this is, I believe, the first Netflix original to be produced in Germany. Um, so that's kind of interesting as well. Um, yeah, I had read that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so about Aaron, what did you think? Uh, just overall impressions of the show? Yeah, overall, I really liked it. Um, I, I think it was extremely tightly woven, which as a mystery writer, I think is kind of the highest compliment that you can play to a mystery mystery especially one as complex as this one and it was a very ambitious narrative um which has upsides and downsides um so you know I, I don't think it was a perfect show but i really enjoyed it i i think it's safe to say that it's probably not going to be for everyone i think it rewards a patient viewer um and perhaps a more experienced viewer by which i mean more experienced in in sci-fi um i'm ma mainly basing that on my husband's reaction who <laughs> after a couple of episodes was just like i'm lost i i'm i i'm i feel dumb <laughs> i don't know what's going on um and he sort of had a very different reaction to it than i did um i'm not sure where the uh german stranger things came from, whether that's just sort of word of mouth buzz or whether that was a deliberate marketing ploy by Netflix. But I almost think it's a shame um, because that's certainly the buzz that I had heard about it. Uh, everyone was referring to it as the German stranger things. And I think um, I don't think the show has done any favors by that. I think the resemblances to stranger things are largely quite superficial uh, and, and rooted in plot points that you could find in a whole host of other properties. Um, and just, you know, going back to what Rory was saying, I think in tone and overall vibe, it really could not be more different. Um, you know, dark is to stranger things uh, as sort of molecular gastronomy is to comfort food. It really it really lacks that. And, and, and there 
they're both things that I really enjoy. And I like both shows, but they're really, really very different. Well, the similarities may be superficial, but they are, you know, sort of striking, right? That they both are set in small towns and have this ensemble cast of characters from multiple generations and involve a kid who goes missing and people trying to find him, sort of. Um, and, a, and a corporation that's kind of behind the scenes, pulling the strings a little bit. But those yeah. are all kind of classics, especially 80s classics, are they not? Sure, but I suppose since Stranger Things was a throwback to the 80s, and this is just coming on the heels of that, it's kind of a natural comparison. Even though you're right, the vibe is very different. I mean, to a, to such a degree that the soundtrack, we were mentioning that a moment ago, almost makes almost goes out of its way to make this come across as a horror show, but it's not, you know, but the cues almost felt like a horror show, like the sense of dread. It's funny too, because um, I, I think someone else already mentioned this. I, the, it wasn't just that watching the, the subtitles is better in terms of the actor performances and, and how genuine that comes across. Um, and maybe this is a good moment to say, I found the acting superb in this show overall. Um, the sound mixing is different in the dubbed version. And so even though the music is the same and the sound effects are the same, it sort of reminded me of, you know, when you're playing those video games where you can separately toggle the volume of the dialogue versus the music versus the the sound of your sword or your gun or whatever, oh, yeah. that somebody had done a really bad job of that. And so some of the music comes off as really bombastic and intrusive in the English version so that it becomes almost corny. Even though it's the same music, the way it's mixed, it comes mm. across as corny Whereas in the German version, it's just, it's a lot more creepy. I think as well with dubbing, you have a lot of the time when you're filming something, it you have the actual sound that was picked up on the set. They're outdoors. And in dubbing, you know, you might have someone in a sound booth recording it and it, it just, it loses it for me, you know? Yeah, it has a different quality. It comes across a little shallow or hollow at times. I don't mm. know. I'm just curious, do any of you guys speak any German? Nine. No. No. <laughs> no. Wait, there was some German right there. Um, yeah, I, I, I took a German in college, and I lived in Germany for one month. So I'm hardly the world's greatest German expert. But it was it was fun to get to use my German. Well, I mean, I, like the simple stuff I could understand, like if they're saying, you know, why not or, you know, things like that. Yes, no. Um, but it, it was it was fun. I got to use my, my German uh, after 20 years. You know, one thing this show has in common with Stranger Things, at least, um, ever since that show came out, people want to go visit that town in Indiana. And now I desperately want to visit Winden, Germany. This place seems great. Yeah, <laughs> does, uh, does it? it seems very German. <laughs> well, 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 what do you what do you what do you mean by that, Aaron? What I mean is it I mean, I don't know what time of year they filmed it, but it I mean, it looks very cold and rainy. And dark. Absolutely. And foresty, very forested. Lots yeah. of mo moody aerial shots of forests. It actually kind of felt like a, Scandiv a Scandinavian show to me in that regard, but I found all that very appealing. I think I like it cold and wet and dark. <laughs> could, could I ask, uh, seeing as I'm, on the, I'm the only one on this side of the Atlantic, um, as Americans viewing this, uh, a European show, you know, did you take away anything? Did anything jump out at you? I, I was actually, I was, when, when it started watching it, I was a little disappointed that I felt like it could be set in, a, you could just like, you would do an American version without changing too much. I mean, I, I, the mm. things that struck me the most were how much people walk and ride their bikes to get places. Um, yeah. You know, like if it's, it was in the US, all those people would be driving everywhere all the time. Um, but I don't know. That was, that was the thing that sort of struck me. How about uh, Raphael? What do you, what do you think about that? 
It's a very interesting question. Um, I thought it felt, you know, it was an interesting mix. On the one hand, it had a very European vibe to it. Uh, everything was so far apart. Maybe it's just because I'm living in Los Angeles, but I was like, wow, every time they have to go anywhere, it's like they're driving through this vast stretch of forest to get there. I thought, you know, like that's not something you experience much in the States. Things are usually closer together, but, um, but I enjoyed that's, that's all the little... That's why you were so taken with the rain, because you're like, I haven't seen rain in like 10 years. <laughs> that's absolutely true. Um, I really appreciated all the little differences, though. Like, for instance, Twix bars were called Raider bars, things like that. So I always love that stuff. Hmm. I don't know. It just made me feel ever so slightly nostalgic for my years living in Switzerland. But I do mean ever so slightly. <laughs> I don't have tons of nostalgia for that period. But it, it did remind me of that, especially that uh, Second Empire, the big um, – that used to be the mansion that became the – Hotel, very, very French architecture. Hmm. I guess one thing that, you know, did not strike me as stereotypically German was how much, how many adulterous affairs were going on in this town. Uh, That, you know, I don't know that I was not expecting there to be quite so many uh, affairs going on. Although I I watched an interview with the, um, the, the showrunners and they said that they grew up in like small towns like this. And that that's what it's like is that. Uh, it's boring and there's nothing to do and it's just all about everyone's in everyone else's business and it's all about who's sleeping with who and you know and stuff like that so actually it was well, you know, sounds like Ireland in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> I actually found it very interesting I suppose this is a European quality of the show but essentially three generations of characters and families like everyone is born and lives and dies in this town seemingly yeah that that doesn't happen very much in, in America anymore but I guess that's more of a European thing I don't know um, well, I don't know about Germany. It's not really the, the, the done thing anymore in Ireland because to be honest with you, property prices are so crazy here right now. So people can't afford anymore to live where they grew up. It's very rare. Um, uh, you know, from my point of view watching it, I was sort of, it reminded me of growing up, you know, as I said, I'm nearly 40 now and, you know, I, we had, I had like a two mile walk or cycle to school and I would disappear off at the weekends and my mother basically wanted me back by five o'clock. She didn't know where I was. Again, that's, again, that's, I think why stranger things appeal to me as well. You know, there wasn't this sort of, what do they call it? Helicopter parenting where you're kind of hanging over your kids every two minutes. That's, that's what appealed to me about both this and stranger things. The other thing I want to mention actually that the showrunners mentioned is that the director said that his dad actually worked at a nuclear power plant. And in the, and that, so all that stuff is, is drawn from life. The, um, you know, the, the, there was the Chernobyl disaster and then, um, yeah. people turned against nuclear power and all the kids had like anti-nuke, uh, buttons on their jackets and stuff like that. And he started telling people that his dad was a manager at a, a department store or something because he, he didn't want to, didn't want that known. That was um, the part hmm. I think that struck me as the most European of all was that angle of, uh, of having the nuclear power plant in this town, um, and, and how, sort of the the town's growth and its politics and its social vibe was sort of all built around the nuclear plant in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess getting back to the Stranger Things comparison, um, I actually like this better than Stranger Things. I'm kind of curious what the rest of you guys thought. Uh, I'll say the caveat, I've only watched the first season of Stranger Things, but um, I like this better. I like the darker zone better. It's less, less, less goofiness, but um mm-hmm. 
I agree with you, David. Uh, I enjoyed it more as well because it did have those kind of more sci-fi lost themes and ideas in it, which always appeals to me. And um, to follow up on what Aaron said, um, I came across a, an article on The Verge that described it as, you know, it's hard to watch, but impossible to stop watching. I, I, it really is a difficult show, like in terms of just the challenge of keeping up with all the twists and the characters and the timelines. But it, it is rewarding if you stick with it. And yeah, I loved it. Yeah, so I, I, I saw that same article on The Verge. I came across another article on Heretz.com, and the headline is, Dark, a show about time travel could have been great if Germans had a sense of humor. Uh, <laughs> and they, they were complaining about the lack of humor in the show. I think there are, I actually, I, and I was, on my rewatch, I was sort of paying attention to that, and there are basically no jokes in the entire show. There are a couple sort of like cute comments, like um, the um, Francesca makes fun of Magnus's crappy weed. That's a little bit of a joke. And, uh, there's kind of a funny line where, um, uh, when, sorry, this is like spoilers, you know, so definitely, you know, if you're, if you didn't catch the first spoiler warning, here's another one. But, uh, when, uh, Ulrich is in the fifties <laughs> and the girl is talking about maybe alien, the, the murdered kids had to do with alien abduction or something. And he says, what did you just say? And she says about the aliens. And he's like, no, about the kids. Um, that was kind of, that was a little funny, but yeah, but basically there are, maybe you can tell from those examples, this is not a, a belly laugh, a whole bunch of belly laughs in this show, uh, which I like cause I, I, I kind of dislike humor, um, generally and <laughs> drama. You know? I, I, I always I, think, I always think, th I always think there's a place for humor in everything. I, I remember seeing an interview with Luke Besson and he said that for him, well, he might be a little bit extreme, but he, for a, a movie without any kind of humor isn't a movie. Um, and I think even in the darkest of places, you can find some chuckles. But you're, I agree with what you said. The laughs in this are few and far between. Right, but see, I well, feel like I'm so endlessly hilarious just in my everyday life that when I want to, well, when I watch a TV show, I want something different. You know, I want to change from just the nonstop yeah, hilarity that is my life. Um, Every day for you is a laugh riot. Yeah. I do think uh, it's possible that the humor that is there is um, culturally specific. Um, I think I picked up on a few wry or sardonic moments that maybe would fly completely under the radar um, if you're looking for sort of more uh, a belly laugh type of humor. Um, but and, and, and I suspect that um, it's just a suspicion, but that, that a German audience would find more nuggets of humor in there than perhaps uh, we did. But can, to go can, back can, to the question. Wait, wait, sorry, Eric, can you think of any examples that you think a German I'm, audience I'm, might well, I'm not German, so no. <laughs> but I mean, I I think that there are definitely um, some some moments that that struck me. I'd have to go back and do a rewatch to be honest. But I I recall thinking that there were a few sort of fairly uh, under the radar moments of of wry humor in there. Um, but to go back to the question of of Stranger Things versus Dark in terms of, of of whether you liked it better or worse, it's just such apples and oranges for me. Um, it, it really would all come down to the mood. Like I, I really honestly couldn't say which of these two, I think I, I certainly had more fun watching stranger things. Um, and I certainly had more, I think it's stranger things is much more bingeable. I think you need some time to process what you see in dark. One of the challenges I had is that, um, although we'd been intending to watch it for some time, I sort of had to cram it all in before doing the show. And, and I really struggled these last couple of days doing three episodes back to back because it's just kind of mentally exhausting. So it's a bit like saying, you know, just because it, I mean, it's a bit more lit fic versus, uh, versus, um, you know, more, more pop fiction, isn't it? 
Now, see, that's a funny observation. Um, to me, I thought this show was something you have to binge because otherwise it's hard to piece together what's happening from episode to episode. I lost my train of thought. Whereas with Stranger Things, I feel like it's more episodic. You don't really have to remember specifically what just happened. It's, mm. it's, it's a simpler story. But yeah, that's why I had to knock this thing out in three or four days. Otherwise, yeah. I, I was going to get lost. Mm. Yeah, we watched yeah, we watched one a night. We we didn't go crazy. Um, we watched one a night, and as uh, and I agree with Aaron. You know, as we say here, you'd want to be in the full of your health to watch <laughs> some of this because some <laughs> of the as as we get as we get along. I mean, I'm sure I don't know where you want to go with the spoilers just yet, but um, you know, the scene with uh, Ulrich and the boy, it it really like I nearly had to turn the TV one. off at that stage. Yeah, that's a tough know? one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess let's just get into sort of what the the plot is, just if people need a refresher or haven't watched the show. So, yeah, so I, so I, so basically we're in this small German town, and there are four families that have known each other forever and are, like, sleeping with each other and fighting with each other and all sorts of drama like that and all sorts of secrets and, and backstabbing and things like that. And so um, a uh, a local kid has gone missing – and uh, he was the school's drug dealer. And so a bunch of the high school kids are like, oh, we know where he was hiding his drugs. So let's go get it now that he's gone and, and we can keep them for ourselves. And so they go out to this cave uh, in the woods where he had supposedly stashed his drugs. And one of the kids who's like the youngest one, who's like 12 or something, uh, vanishes. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and, it, and it's, as people are saying, it's very confusing because there's so many characters that get thrown at you. And um, certainly, like, even by the um, the last episode, I was still having moments where I was like, wait, who is this person? And especially on a rewatch, uh, I don't see how any there's any way any nor ordinary mortal could keep track of the family relationships on the first watch. It's even hard to tell who you're looking at from time to time. And I think like two of the things that I would highlight as strengths of this show also lead to weaknesses of the show. Uh, one is I just, I do think that as, as much as it's, they've done a wonderful job of creating a complex show. I think that there are a few th threads that could have been pulled out of the sweater. Um, it was too complicated and they were trying to do too much. But one of the things they did really, really well, astonishingly well, was in terms of casting people who play the same characters or relatives through the generations, they look mm -hmm. so much alike <laughs> that it becomes hard. And, and there are minimal cues when we start shifting between the timeframes. So there are three separate timeframes. There's the, the events that mostly takes place either in the 80s or in 2019. And then toward the end of the season, we get some glimpses of the 50s. And we get minimal cues about when we're shifting between these. It's really just, there are a couple of musical cues and maybe the outfits, but, but really it's supposed to be the characters who tell us, okay, we're, we're in this time or we're in that time. And that becomes hard to follow when the characters start moving through the time streams. But also because, you know, the young Claudia really looks like the older Claudia, really looks like her, her daughter, Regina. And it starts to become super confusing mm -hmm. from one moment. Which old guy with the beard is this again? Oh, yeah. No. Wait, it's wait, wait. so true because oh sorry well I, I think we need to sorry I, I should have explained more that okay so it turns out that they go into this cave and it turns out that in this cave you can travel uh back to the back to they're in 2019 and you can travel back to 1986 initially and one of the characters jonas discovers that the kid who went missing uh who he was with who he was supposed to be watching actually goes back to 1986 and then grows up to be his father 
uh, who has committed suicide as the series opens. So whoa, that's why we're just gonna go straight out with the cannon. <laughs> well, no, but that's just that's in the that's yeah. really Aaron. That's like the first I think three episodes. That's only the first three mm. episodes that that happens in. Um, When's the reveal about Mickle? In the third or fourth episode, yeah. yeah no, Is it I, really that that yeah. early in? Oh, yeah, no, later. no. But yeah, as Aaron said, there's not just so many characters, but so many different iterations of the same character that, yeah, when they start going between the three time periods, it does get a little confusing. So, yeah, you definitely have to pay attention. And by the end, we even see a glimpse of a fourth time period, which I'm very excited to see more of in season two. Well, and I thought the casting of the actors was a variable in terms of how clear it was to me who they were. Like, some of them were really good. Like, the Alexander... Um, guy as a teenager looked exactly like him. I don't know how they did that. That was amazing. But like, I was even like some of them, like, like Claudia, I, I really, it wasn't until my second watch, honestly, that I, I really connected that the woman who was running the nuclear power plant in the eighties was the gray haired, um, woman from the, in the bunker, uh, yeah. from the future. Like, I, I just did not make that connection at all. But, but they did eventually come across and just do a thing. And I thought it was, it was simple, but I think they had to do it that way, where they literally showed us, you know, mm-hmm. Ulrich, the, the cop, versus the young guy in 1986, and then his wife, and then literally a, a close-up of their faces, his wife, who was the girlfriend back in 86. It wasn't very, I didn't think it was a very sophisticated way of doing it, but it was the simplest way to do it, and it worked. You go, oh, that's Ulrich in 2019 that's Ulrich in 1986 I get it but like the others I still had to go back and think and I was glad I watched it with my wife Aileen because I would literally have to pause the thing and say hold on a second is that you know and we would have it and and she kept me on track so Mm -hmm. no true that little editing device they did with the multiple faces on screen at the same time to show you who was actually who was pretty clever I thought I mean I don't know how else they could have done it. So it's probably about as elegant as a solution as you'll get. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I yeah. said how much I liked the intro, but I, I wonder if just for clarity, if the intro should have been like um, panning over that wall where all the characters are, you know, um, in the, you know, the, 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 the thing we see at the beginning in the bunker that turns out to be in the future where there's all the characters and there's like the string connecting them. Um, if, if like, and then every, you know, every episode you would have seen all the characters and all of them in all the different times. And maybe that would have, uh, you know, helped keep it all straight. I suppose though, the filmmakers didn't necessarily want you to be perfectly aware of that from the get go. I, I maybe, maybe it's part of the experience is kind of piecing it together as it happens, but I agree that could have been helpful maybe going forward. I think that really the, the main problem is just that there were too many. And I think there were entire storylines that didn't need to be there um, or that maybe could have been folded in in a subsequent season. And as a result, like, again, I, I really appreciate the fact that the show is challenging, but I do think they went too far with it. I, I think you shouldn't, as the viewer, struggle as much as I think even a very attentive viewer has to struggle at certain points in the show to remind yourself, who is this again and how do they fit? I think that's fair. I mean, you shouldn't have to look like Charlie Day from Always Sunny with the dry erase board going crazy off on the side. You know, <laughs> they could have cut a third of the characters and it would have been just as good, probably. Yeah, I think you have over a dozen characters in this and you can multiply that by two, you know, because you have the 2019 characters and then the 86 characters and then you go again back to the 53 characters. Yeah, yeah. And I think if we'd spent a little bit more time in a certain way, this is going to sound like a strange thing to say in a certain way, it felt rushed as much as the pacing is, is actually on the slower side. Um, 
it felt rushed in the sense of trying to cram too many threads into to this first season that I think that they could have taken their time a little bit more to develop some of these storylines so that they feel a little bit more familiar before you start folding in additional ones. Yeah, well, I agree with you, Aaron, that the, the Magnus and Francisca characters seems like they could have just been cut out of the story and it would have made no difference. And there are a couple None. other characters like that. But and, and as I was watching it, I was like, oh, I wish they had had a like a one or two more episodes just at the beginning, just to establish what the family relationships are. Like maybe they all go to a family reunion and they're like, Hey, you remember your cousin, like whatever. <laughs> um, but actually yeah. when, when I rewatched it, you know, um, that, that did strike you how, like how every, how um, fastidious it is or how I don't, what's the word? Like just how carefully put together it is that everything is you know, like on, on a rewatch, like, Oh, that's the, what that's there for this reason. That's there for this reason. That's there for this reason. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, I kind of like a show where it makes, you know, you're really confused the first time, but it's cool. And then you kind of have to watch it a second time. And then everything, like, well, like 80% of it makes sense on the second watch. I think that's kind of, you know, there's a place in the world for shows like that. Absolutely. Like something can become more rewarding with more time spent in it. And, and, you know, even though it is a lot of characters, it does succeed in making it feel like a really lived in town. I mean, it felt very real. Because yeah. not, not everyone was a major character, and sometimes you're like, why is this character even in the show? But just to make it feel f- fleshed out, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I think you could have characters like Magnus and um, Magnus and, and Francesca in particular. I think you can have characters like that for color without devoting quite as much time to, and they have a mysterious storyline all of their own. You know, there's stuff going on with with that character, Francesca, that we we don't we don't know what is happening. And I think when you leave a thread like that, you don't want to leave so much time between where you spark that mystery and where you resolve it, that people have literally forgotten that it exists by the time it comes up again. So that in the early episodes where she uh, she goes to the train tracks near the cave and she unearths this box that has money in it. We know something weird is going on with her. That is not touched again, essentially, for, for the rest of, of the show. Um, presumably, it gets picked up again at a later point. But it just kind of feels like it would, would have been better to save that for later so that it feels fresh when you pick it up again. And, and I personally, I don't know that if a show needs to be watched a second time, to uh, certainly it should be rewarding and more rewarding on a second viewing, but I don't think it needs to be watched. If it needs to be watched a second time, you're probably overcomplicating things. Well, but we do find out that she's saving up all this money because she wants to try to get out of town at some point, um, which is kind of a red herring, right? Like they kind of tried to throw, like everyone's doing suspicious things and, you know, and it's supposed to make it hard for you to figure out who the, you know, the murderer is or things, things like that. Right. And also, would you liken it to a show like Game of Thrones? Because most people would agree you can't watch Game of Thrones just once and actually really understand it. It's way too many characters, too many plots. You, you really enjoy it a lot more in the second and the third time. Mm. I don't know if I agree with that. I think you can understand Game of Thrones on the first viewing. You can't es- explore all the little corners. It's, it's a bit like a playthrough of a complicated game, isn't it? You don't necessarily do all the side quests the first time. You don't necessarily, you know, explore all of the environments, but you still have a coherent game playing experience. You don't get to the end and go, what the fuck? (laughs) Whereas, honestly, I kind of got to the end of this show and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) 
<laughs> so, well, so I had I that think... in the middle of the show. <laughs> I, so it really was a lot like see... Lost in the end. <laughs> well, I've, you see, I've, I've had a bit of distance from it because, as I said, it's a couple of weeks since we finished it. And what is it, 10 episodes? 10, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a couple of weeks since we finished it. And I, I have been, I've been thinking about, I thought about it when it, when it wrapped for us. And then when David asked me to, to do this, I was kind of thinking about it again. I didn't have time to, to do a rewatch, but I was kind of going, skimming through recaps, you know, online episode recaps. I was going, oh yeah, now, yeah, I remember that. I was, I was kind of going back in my, in my head about what had happened. Uh, I, t- I personally tend not to rewatch stuff anyway. I kind of just do it the once, but with this, you know, I, I, I think I, I, w- I think I will, um, go back again because I'm, I know I missed stuff. I know I did. Um, and I know there is, is stuff, you know, maybe, hinted at in one episode that might come up again and i know i missed it so i, I think i i'm i am going to go back and, and take a look again well, well yeah and i reject the lost comparison because the thing with lost is that every uh, episode introduced two or three mysteries and then you get to the end and they're like yeah no idea whereas this one mm. it all tied up pretty well i mean you know there are some loose threads that could very easily be explained um in the next season but like you know like if, especially when you watch it again as i said like everything you're like oh yeah it, it all kind of holds together i mean there are some things that i I'm a little confused. Maybe don't quite hold together, but I thought the finale of this was awesome. Uh, I was just, you know, I was destroyed, but I was just like, oh, just, just emotionally. I was like, oh man. Hmm. Um, as well, I think, I, I, you know, maybe they didn't know they were getting a second season so that, you know, they had to do as much as they could. By the way, I happen to look at the cast list. It's much larger than you even remember. I mean, it's, 33 in the main cast and with supporting recurring cast up to 48. Yeah. 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 Wow. And just let me temper my remarks. Uh, the, some of the, the what the fuckery at the end was down to the fact that I actually thought that this was a single season. I thought this was a onesie. So I was expecting more resolution by the end than I got. And I think that's just down to an expectations thing. I think if I had realized going in that there, that there was no expectation that that this season or that the show would be over after a single season, I would have felt a little bit less left hanging at the end because you would expect, of course, that there are going to be some threads that aren't wrapped up. Um, I And, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for full resolution, but there were certain plot items that I expected to be a little bit farther up the pitch than we got by the end. You know, after after shows like Wayward Pines and the OA, I've given up the hope of ever having like a season one resolution, even when there should be. Like even with Wayward Pines, it's like they ran out of material and they're still like, no, we'll keep it going somehow. But I, th- I thought this was I didn't realize there was a second season when I watched it. And I thought the ending was great. I mean, you know, obviously it leaves room for other stuff. But I thought if they only made this season, I would be perfectly content. I mean, I, I thought it, it answered, you know, most of the things that I wanted answered. But I think they only announced season two after the show had had launched on Netflix. And it seemed to be that God knows how much data they have and who's watching and for how watching. I think they I I could be wrong, but I think they announced season two after the show had been up. And obviously they looked at, at their own traffic or metrics or whatever and said, OK, people are watching this. Let's go for a second one. Yeah, well, so let's talk about the ending. So, I mean, it's just impo- it's absolutely impossible to summarize the plot of this. But at a really abstract level, we find out that the um, time 
uh, the reason that people are able able to travel through time in the caves is because the there was a nuclear power like accident kind of thing that had been hushed up, and that um, there's this sinister uh, Catholic priest named Noah who has been kidnapping the kids in different times to um, plug into sort of power his own time machine that he's trying to build. And then um, this all sort of culminates at the end when uh, Jonas gets thrown into the future, into a sort of dystopian future of 2052. And we know that he's going to come back in time and he's going to be one of the characters that we saw in the show. And um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else super vital to the plot. Right. Well, I think I think we, we, we see and see in the first episode, in the, in the first or second episode, we see that the kid that the drug dealing kid who's gone missing, he ends up in this weird room um, with kind of 80s music playing, strange kind of wallpaper, very freaky stuff. That freaked me out in in the first season or two, or first episode or two. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the crucial thing that happens for me in the last episode is so, so we know from fairly early on, I want to say episode three or four, um, that there's a wormhole in the caves. The wormhole is somehow physically situated in these caves. And so to time travel, people go into the caves uh, on one end and come out the other in a different time. And there are three time loops that we see, and they're all 33 years apart because something, something lunar cycle. Um, It's not answered to my satisfaction why it's not any space of 33 years. Like why only these three? Is it maybe because uh, the, the nuclear accident that ostensibly created the wormhole took place in 1986, and therefore it's only 33 forward and 33 back. But if that were the case, then why do we suddenly jump at the end of the show to this new time frame? So there's still some questions that need to be answered, but the, the critical well, thing is... Well, no, because what throws him into 2052 is the time machine, not the wormhole that was created by itself by the nuclear accident. And see, well, that's also but, admittedly a little confusing because you've got, you know, the... the did I mention there was a time machine? I, I left that out of my... <laughs> well, right. Just, just to finish, though, if I could just finish the thought. So, but but that we find out later that actually there's some doubt as to whether the nuclear uh, meltdown, whatever event, was it, what caused the wormhole. But the critical thing is that the main character, to the extent you can identify one, is Jonas, who um, is... He's the one whose father kills himself in the in the opening scene of the series. Um, he is convinced that he needs to destroy this wormhole to put things right. And so at the end of the episode, the adult Jonas goes into the caves with the time machine, thinking that he's going to destroy the wormholes, the wormhole. But we find out that, oopsie, this is actually what created the wormhole in the future, or in the first place, at least according to the bad guy. So there's this whole chicken and egg thing about what actually started the wormhole and where are we in this loop? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of elements to the show that uh, are obviously related, but a little hard to piece together because you have the, the nuclear reactor, which in some way causes the wormhole, which is trapped in a cave system that someone also definitely had a hand in building because it's the, the tunnels and the doors. But then there's also the apparatus from the clockmaker which the stranger uses to travel. Um, and that's integral to the whole thing. So there's a lot of parts here. Yeah. A lot of moving parts. Yeah. Like, like, like what a clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was one of my big questions is who built these doors and the, you know, the 
constructed parts of the tunnels. I don't think there was ever any, really even any hint of no. how that had happened. But was I right in seeing there was a fork in the tunnel? And I yeah. thought that one brought yeah. you to 86 and one brought you to 53. So Correct, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And see, David, when I mentioned a loss comparison, to me, that's where it came into play. It was, you know, when I think of lost, I think of things like the hatch and the bunker and uh, the giant wheel that's, you know, that was in that one room. And it's like, who builds these things? And like, who built those doors and wrote the Latin on it and all that stuff? You know, that's what yeah. really intrigues me. One of the things that is interesting, too, is how Noah fits into the whole thing. Uh, Noah is the ostensible bad guy. He's this priest. Um, that, that we were talking about. Uh, it's not clear which time frame he originally comes from. Uh, one of the things I think the show did really well is they gave us glimpses of this villain without any mustache-twisting monologues, but I still don't understand what the hell he wants. So we know he's trying to build a time machine, but to what end? Um, and why does he have a tattoo on his back that's the same as a poster that Mikkel found in the hospital question mark okay and why so, does he have to kill hmm. children okay well wait he needs to kill children to power his time machine the um why? the tattoo that well because that's how time machines work the um <laughs> the, the tattoo on his back is this thing it's this real thing called the emerald tablet which is a piece of sort of hermetic esoteric um alchemy um kind of related stuff that is um i think dates back to i think the, I, I was just reading it so i think the it originally there's an arabic translation from the sixth century or something um but it's been around forever and has been written about uh written about and, and um attempted to decode by all sorts of um you know alchemists and people into esoteric philosophy and stuff like that um not that that necessarily answers your question say, but, that but that's everything. what it is <laughs> um but wait what was uh, wait, what was the other thing you... What, Noah. What, what, what were your first two questions? I just want to know what he's trying to achieve. Oh, oh, oh. So, so he yeah, makes that... a lot of grandiose statements about saving the world, but... What? but no, but that is legitimately that is legitimately confusing because there's a couple scenes where he seems to indicate that he's part of a faction dedicated to preserving the timeline as it exists. But then he also says that he wants to build the time machine so that he can completely change everything. So I'm with you. I'm totally confused about that. And then there's this whole issue with with Claudia, who is the kind of haggard looking old lady who was originally the nuclear power plant director in the 80s. And then she she's Bar Bartos's grandmother. Am I right? Yep. yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she she and Bartos thought she was dead. And then she shows up. And so then there's this suggestion of this this sort of light and dark battle that Noah is the dark and Claudia, old Claudia who looks like she's been living out in the middle of nowhere for the last 30 years, is the light side of this struggle. Mm -hmm. Except I think. Noah <laughs> says it's the other way, except Noah says it's the other way around. And, and, and another strength of the show is that, I mean, everybody, every single character in this show makes some highly questionable decisions. So it's, it's possible that, um, you know, all of the ones that we've sort of tentatively sorted into white hat boxes um, and black hat boxes end up getting resorted down the line, which I always like. Hmm. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, some like on my rewatch, one of my big questions was, was wait, who kidnapped Mikkel and sent him into 1986 and why? Um, but it's like, because he's it's, never seen going into the tunnel. Yeah. And, and he's like beaten up. So someone, you know, beat him up and took him through the doors and everything, presumably, and just sort of set him loose. 
Uh, and that's enough really explains. I mean, pretty much anything in the show you can explain as the <laughs> faction that wants to preserve the timeline did it because they knew that that's what had to happen. Um, but that's a little right. sort of like spackling it o- over some of the. Because even on even on that note, why would you know Mickle take his own life as an adult? If I mean, like you said, the only reason is he doesn't want to contaminate the timeline. I guess but that seems almost like overly altruistic. I don't know if I would. That's uh, that's a big question for me. Um, is there something that the older Jonas says to his younger self to the effect of uh, Mickle saved my life, um, implying that the act of hanging himself was in some way an act of preservation for his son. But it's not obvious to me how that's the case. Um, but and maybe that that'll be explained, and maybe not. One of the things that I always think of any any time travel narrative is going to have some lingering questions and paradoxes and things that just don't line up. It's it's just gonna be that way, and so you can't really expect a hundred percent clean narrative on that. And I think you know, I'm I'm personally okay with that. I mean, I love a good paradox. I mean, like the Terminator <laughs> or anything like that. But I do, I do like to have the answers by the end. Hopefully, at least something <laughs> resembling an answer. <laughs> well, because there are apparently two factions, right? There's the faction that wants to change things, and there's the faction that wants to preserve things the way they are. But everything we, we see in the show seems that everything was predestined. Like nobody, we never see anyone succeed in changing anything um, in all ten episodes that that I can think of. Not so far. But one of the things that the show does really well is is flirt with that tension. Is there are a lot of moments where you think and, and this is I think one of the things in turn that I was disappointed with at the very end, is there's a lot of moments where you think this is the moment. This is the moment where the timeline's gonna be broken, um, and something has changed and, and we finally get to see what the cascade effect of that change will be. Only to find out that no, this was always part of the, the same loop that we've been watching. Um I think there's only so many times you can do that, though, before it drains some of the dramatic tension out of it. I think we will need to see soon some at least flicker of hope that the timeline can be changed um, before we s- start losing the the belief that that this can actually be changed. And that drains some of the tension. Can I ask how long people it took people to kind of realize that? the stranger who turned out to be Jonas when he was grown up was that. Do do you know what I mean? When did you kind of go, oh yeah, that's Jonas in 33 years time? See, I I thought that 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 possibility occurred to me, but I didn't think the actor looked enough like the young actor that I I, I sort of... I totally disagree. (laughs) They have like completely different, like young Jonas has a really like long, narrow face and uh, old Jonas has like a really kind of round average like sort of you know handsome and more face i don't know if I, I started to suspect they were the same character but just through process of elimination mostly you knew he had to be somebody so yeah who else was you know but there's so many strange implications in the show with all the paradoxes i mean like hannah for instance we haven't really touched on her but jonas's yeah. mother i mean she basically is having an affair with her dead husband's father you'd almost think she would have realized it at some point <laughs> I think that the line of the series, and I actually copied it, um, is when Jonas has kind of, young Jonas has kind of realized everything, and he's talking to his grandmother, who's not actually his grandmother, and uh, someone, he says, now I have another grandma, and she's the principal of my school, her husband, who's fucking my mom, is looking for his son, who's my father, a few days ago, I kissed my aunt, and that kind of sums the whole thing up for me. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, can we can we talk about Hannah though? Because Hannah is my biggest gripe with this show. Um, I think that Hannah's um, vendetta against Ulrich um, by the end is one of the storylines that could have been dropped. Uh, not the affair, but the the fact that she gets she blackmails the the head of the nuclear power plant in 2019 to destroy Ulrich, which machinations I imagine are supposed to unfold somewhere in season two. Um, but I, I just, I, the, the, the whole scorned psycho woman is just so old and so played out. And it, it's not that there aren't scorned psycho women in the world. There are, and there are scorned psycho men. Um, but we see the scorned psycho woman in fiction like 10 times more. And I don't think that's a ratio that holds up in real life. Mm. And I just think these writers have demonstrated to me that they're capable of doing better. And it just is such a lazy trope. It just really irritated me. Yeah, that's fair. I, I agree with you. It went too far with the um, blackmailing the um, nuclear power plant guy to destroy yeah. Ulrich. That, that, that got into just like weird melodrama to me. But I did think the part where she um, tells uh, Katerina like, oh, Ulrich always loved me and he told he wanted to leave me, but I didn't want to do it. Like, and, and, and is just like destroying Katerina. You can just see Katerina crumpling psychologically i i thought that was a really just creepily effective scene for me i think it was an effective scene i but i think they they really overplay the hand and so i i completely think it's plausible that she has that scene but it's already on the back of her atonement moment when she's a kid so when they're kids um, and she's already got a crush on Ulrich, she sees Katerina and Ulrich having sex in the gym in the, at the school. And she decides the thing to do is to go to the police and claim that she witnessed Katerina being raped. And she does this anonymously. So she's already creepy psycho at the age of 14. And then she doubles down on creepy psycho later. And I just think they way overplayed the hand. Um, and I think her throwing a monkey wrench into things wasn't important enough in the story that they were telling. But even if it was important in the overall narrative, I think that they could have found, they, they've demonstrated they have the capacity because it is such a tightly woven narrative. They de- mm. they could have done found another way to achieve that end without going all Glenn Close about it. I hadn't thought about that. But now that you say that, uh, I I am thinking back and and I, I totally agree with you there now. Um, and in terms of the female, I thought the female characters were 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 great. I mean, I, I was a b- huge fan of. I was going to say Claudia, but that's not Claudia. the The police chief. I thought she was uh, Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah, I liked her too. Yeah, who are your favorite characters? If you had to say, let me scan my list of fifty eight <laughs> names. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, I was very intrigued by any scenes with the stranger and the clockmaker. I I just really loved getting into all the nuts and bolts, uh, especially when he pulls out the duplicate device and he says, this is the one that isn't built yet. And I can only finish it by looking at the one I've already finished in the future. I mean, that kind of stuff is great. (laughs) If I if I read your cheat sheet, Dave, it sounds like you didn't have like a lot of love for these characters. They are described as (laughs) bad cop, stoner. Uh, douchey friend lying skank wimpy kid 
<laughs> well, no, I, I actually I actually like the characters. It's just, you know, if I'm doing a podcast, I need something that's going to instantly call the character to mind. It can't be sort of, you know, abstract. But um, I'm going to put in, a, even though I thought that the character Magnus, um, like, really was not necessary for the story at all. I'm going to put in a good word for him because I was reading a review of of this show that I thought made a really good point, which is that in Stranger Things, all the characters are kind of types. You know, they're kind of like, oh, it's the jock. This guy's the jock and this guy's the weird kid and this guy, this whatever, you know. And Magnus seems he's not like a type. He's just like he seems like a real like, you know, I spent a fair amount of time in Europe. He just seems like European guys that I've known in real life uh, and not just like a I know, maybe in Germany. He's like, you know. Like, this is a type of character that appears in German television all the time or something. I don't know. But at least for me, like, there were characters like that that just seemed like real people um, in a way I that I thought Marta of... was, too. Yeah. Both of those, both of those siblings, I thought. And Mikkel's a, Mikkel's a cutie pie. <laughs> yeah. And Ulrich's a fantastic character. I mean, the actor did a great job playing him. And I, you know, his storyline towards the end of the season when he goes back to 53 and has that terrible dilemma with young Helga and then he gets arrested, but he, he thinks he's doing the right thing by preventing a string of murders. That was all pretty fascinating. Yeah, Ulrich was kind of, and I had the same problem with Stranger Things, but I, I, it really bothers me in shows where police officers don't follow procedure, like any kind of like realistic procedure at all. Um, and that was kind of annoying me in this, but then given that he tries to murder a 12-year-old uh, in the past, the kind of like it is sort of setting that up. Um, well, I, and to be fair, I think all bets are off when your own kid gets kidnapped. Yeah. The one thing for me that like was crawling little... over the barbed wire into a nuclear power. Like that just, I don't know. That just seems like TV stuff to me, but I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. I Rob, thought, no, go ahead. Oh, I just, you know, it, one of the only missteps I thought, I thought it took towards the end was it was a little too stupid on his part to be walking right down the middle of the road. You <laughs> after in you blood. Just, yeah. Cover, it's like, dude, you know, maybe sneak through the forest and get your ass back to that cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, people, people in the show were very blase about Ulrich's blood covered face, just to, in general, <laughs> generally speaking. It's true. Like if, if I'm, if I'm with my kid and I'm in a new town that I've just moved to and I'm to all appearances fleeing an abusive husband who's probably going to turn out to be Noah, then I, I no, really it's definitely, don't, it's definitely Noah. Yeah. <laughs> then I really don't think the first person I'd stop to ask for directions is random dude in the highway who's covered in blood. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, Oh, well, he looks like a, a, a really informative source. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was one of my big problems was how both Ulrich and, um, Jonas randomly encounter a parent in the past for, for like just in a weird coincidence. I, it's a really I small town. <laughs> yeah. no, nevertheless. Uh, wait, how about, how, let's get, let's get Rory in here. Did you have any favorite characters, Rory? I, I, I felt very sorry for, um, uh, Helga, um, mm. who we saw as a young boy in the, whose father was, the guy that set up the power plant in the 50s. We saw him in the 80s as this kind of underachieving kind of, what is he, like a security guard in the, in the, in the, in the power plant still. And then in the 90s, he's kind of wandering around. He's a, got dementia. He's in a home. He wanders off. His whole life to me has been sort of, you know, a, an unending boulevard of tragedy. Uh, come, and then, you know, to top it all off, Ulrich tries to beat him to death with a brick. Um, <laughs> and that's what starts everything. 
Um, so I just found him quite a tragic character and I, I was kind of watching him and I was like, God, I just feel so sorry for this guy in terms of a favorite. I was a, I, I'm a big Ulrich fan. I don't know why. Maybe he, he rocks a parka like no one else. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'd be interested in how both Ulrich and Katrina, who were both the kind of bad boy, you know, bad girl of the high school or their secondary school, all of a sudden they're, they're pillars of community. He's the, the, the detective, she's the, the, the principal of the school. What, what turned it all around for them? Yeah, that's I don't interesting. Know, I, I feel, or what, I feel, what the hell is Regina's problem? <laughs> I feel like in the United States, it's sort of a stereotype that the juvenile delinquent kids turn and become police officers. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have one minor character we haven't touched on at all. Um, the junior police officer. Did, did anyone else wonder why he was wearing an eye patch the whole yes, show? The whole show. <laughs> yes. Totally. Yes. Why and it's just that? never addressed. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. Maybe it's just they're going for a really you know, high level realism. People are and just then, injured sometimes. And, no and then he turns out to be on the take. We find out at the end. Yeah. So there was also what, the guy, the there was the male prostitute type guy working out of a caravan on the side of the road. I, yeah. I, I don't know enough about German law. I don't know, is it legal over there or not? But I mean, I was <laughs> like, what the hell little, is going on? I believe the legal term overt. is open and notorious. Um, it did seem very open and notorious. Um, but like, yeah, so, so he was on the take and I didn't understand that. I also, another thing that was brought up in like episode two, but never touched on again was the fact that the very first kid who goes missing, Eric, who we never meet, who touches off the whole thing. His dad, it turns out, is involved in, you know, hiding nuclear waste in the caves. And it seems like his dad is not at all making a connection between his nefarious activities and the disappearance of his kid, which I just think is weird. Mm. Well, how, how would he make that connection? I guess it's more weird from the point of view of the writing, like, why would you make him one of the people who's involved unless you just didn't want to pay somebody else? Do you know what I'm saying? Like why, unless you're trying to demonstrate that everybody's life is somehow bound up with the nuclear plant. Right, I, I but just, just like hiding, why. you wouldn't necessarily connect. You wouldn't just assume like, Oh, I'm hiding nuclear waste in this cave. This is probably going to create a time tunnel. That's going to cause someone to abduct my kid to power their time machine. Right. I mean, like, I think that stretches the limits of inductive reasoning, but I do think that if I were involved in illegal activities and we know he's involved in at least two, i.e. drug peddling and hiding nuclear waste, that I might scratch my chin and inquire if my activities had played any role in my son's disappearance up to and including blackmail. Yeah, actually, that gives that brings up one of my questions about the cave, though, is why is it not? Why are these time tunnels in the cave not known to everybody in the town? Because Every time I go into a cave, you know, like you, you find a cave, you're like, oh, I'm exploring this cave. Maybe I'm the first person here. And you inevitably come to the deepest, darkest corner of the cave and there's like cigarette butts and broken beer bottles. And it turns out like all the neighborhood kids hang out in this cave all the time. And is there some like time travel reason why, like, are the tunnels not there between like are, every like, once like every in, 33 in years or something? 79, are they not there at all? Or like, how does that work? Hmm. I don't know. (laughs) Also, how did the poodle get through the doors? That's what I want to know. Also a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think the show leaves us with far more questions than answers. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the reality we're 
getting to. We should start a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, here, let me throw in a couple more questions I have. Let's see. Uh, why are there coins on thongs around the necks of the victims? Does anyone have any ideas about that? No. And the, the whole Ariadne thing seemed just a, a little bit high school lit to me. <laughs> we could have done without that reference, I thought. So, you, you know, she's in the play. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was reading play. about that, yeah. Marta is, yeah, Marta's in a play about Ariadne who is, features heavily in one of the, the cooler Greek myths uh, um, about the, the labyrinth and the minotaur. And she's the one who, she falls in love with Theseus, who's supposed to be uh, sacrificed to the minotaur. And she helps him in a number of ways, one of which is she gives him a ball of yarn that he can use to track his way through the labyrinth. So, so Marta's in this play and she's standing up. She's and she's got this, wow, super dramatic monologue, several really, um, in which she's holding this ball of red yarn. And then this is um, sort of juxtaposed with images of the, the red ball. There's, there's red yarn actually in the caves, which as far as I can tell goes from nothing to nothing. And then all of the dead kids end up with this red yarn around their necks with a coin on it. Well, no, but the red yarn in the cave, I think, was left by old Jonas to uh, show himself how to get to the um, tunnel. And he had seen her in the play. So maybe he and he's in love with her. So maybe he saw her in the play, fell in love with her and the red yarn. And then 33 years later, comes back in time and it just still has this red yarn thing going on. And is, uh, he needs the Geiger counter to find the red yarn. That, that kind of seems like you gave somebody GPS and said, and here's a compass. No, maybe maybe he just has a thing for red yarn, like I'm saying, you know, <laughs> maybe um, can I can I go back to the 50s? Uh, what I was kind of wondering was where, where are they going with the story? So we have Agnes, who's the good looking woman in the, the red dress. She shows up to rent the room with her son, who is Trant, 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 Trante, Trante, Trante who is Ulrich's father. So mm -hmm. uh, so we right. see her showing up. She says she's fleeing from her husband died or he was, a, you know, we think that the uh, husband She says he Noah. died, but he, was, but he was actually abusive. Yeah, and we think that uh, from what I've read, any deep dives I've done on the internet, it seems to be that the theory is the husband is Noah, the priest who's kind of time traveling. And then we have, uh, there's a bit of a scene where she's in the house with the woman that is letting them the room and there's a sort of a, a thing going on between the two of them. There's a suggestion maybe of, you know, something going on between the two women here. I'm wondering where, where they're going with that. Is, is that something or is that just a, another sidebar? Yeah, that's, that's another one um, that I think probably could have been left for future seasons. One of the things that I found intriguing though, that I guess I was expecting resolution on this scene was it can't be a coincidence as the head of the nuclear plant in the 50s rightly says that these two bodies show up on his property and he suspects that somebody dumped them there as a way of interrupting the zoning permission and or public approval for the nuclear power plant. And he might be onto something there because if I was a time traveler and I was of the view that the nuclear power plant was what created the wormhole in the first place and I and I didn't have any other means that I could see of collapsing the wormhole myself, preventing the building of the nuclear power plant in the first place would seem like a good intervention. So it made me wonder if he was onto something there. No, but it was those dirty mm. coal factory guys. They're the ones who did it. <laughs> those, those union types. 
So, so that, that kind of confused me, I admit, because Helga is involved. He's doing Noah's dirty work in terms of disposing of the bodies. And so in principle, it's Helga who's put them there. And yet he seems to be, although as an old man, he, he's, uh, regretting the role that he played in all of this. At this point in the eighties, he seems to be, um, yeah, that's right. So I've got that wrong. It can't have been Helga, can it? Oh, yes, because he does. Does Helga know how to, to use the wormhole? Old Helga obviously does. But does middle Helga know? Because the bodies were dumped in young Helga time. I, I think young Helga, or sorry, like middle age, like middle Helga knows how to use the time tunnels. But he also, for, for, for some reason, um, Peter and Tronte are also somehow involved in body disposal for reasons that are not at all clear to me. Well, there's just the one though, right? I think they're they're involved in Mad's disposal. Yeah, but but they don't know it's going to be Mad's when the body first shows up, and they have this whole book of like dates that I think are dates that bodies are going to be showing up that they're supposed to dispose of. Um, oh, is that what that was? Is that, yeah. is that when they were? The, is that when we saw Noah in the in the underground bunker and there were dates on the wall? Well, yeah, so this this is – I still don't really understand this, but we see him sort of like washing the floor and then writing dates mm-hmm. on, on the wall in chalk. And then those dates are there in one of the scenes where little boy Helga is playing in the bunker. So he must have – so it must be either in the 50s or before that um, Noah was in there. Um, but I, I still don't quite get what's going on there. Right. Where do you think Noah actually originates from, 86 or some other time altogether? even like 2052 because we do see a hint of 2052 at the end and I still haven't figured out what the heck's going on with that scene. Well, this is an interesting thing because Noah is apparently working as a, like working as a priest in 1953 and in 2019 because Agnes is like mm-hmm. doing a confession to him or no, sorry. It's um uh, Egon's wife is doing a confession to him. Or I forget, actually, now I don't even remember who it was. Somebody's doing a confession <laughs> to him. And then the guy whose sheep all died in 2019 says, oh, there's this priest now who's awesome. Um, and now I'm really getting into going to church. Who I oh, I forgot that... all about that. Oh, I forgot that, yeah. yeah. This is and why then, you have to watch does... the show five times. And, and yeah. here's another one. Here's another one. There's uh, all of so so the sheep that all died, the birds that all died, and the people that all died all had their eardrums exploded. So mm-hmm. to, the 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 people also had their eyes melted, and we know the eyes melting was somehow related to their time machine thing. But the eardrum thing is clearly separate from that because the sheep and and the birds also had it, and we also have a hearing impaired little girl. Is that going to come into it, or is that just a coincidence? Yeah. See, see, and also, daughter. Well, yeah. well, see, that's what I thought because the um, oh wait, what's her name? Uh, Elizabeth. Um, is the one, she's the only, like, at the scene where she, at the point where she gets returned alive, she's the only person who gets abducted. Oh, no, now I guess Mikkel was too. So, yeah, I was wondering if, if, if there was some connection between her being hearing impaired and the eardrums bursting thing. But then her boyfriend, Yasin, or whatever his name was, um, yeah. does get killed. So that kind of punctured that theory, at least as far as I've traced oh, that. Oh, no pun intended. <laughs> could, could I ask what people thought of the scene with Ulrich and young Helga, where you know, Ulrich goes back? Uh, for me, it was the single most shocking thing I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
from so Ulrich goes back. He's trying to get young Helga from from abducting and killing the kids in the future, and he realizes that obviously that the only way to do this is to kill young Helga. And I I, I didn't think it was going to happen until it did. And he literally picks up a brick, and there's no cutaways. There's no. I mean, we see everything, and he beats this kid apparently to death with a brick. I I, I, I turned around. I looked at my wife. I was like, Jesus Christ. You know, I couldn't believe it. You know, on the one hand, you understand why he's doing it. I mean, he's a father, like you said, whose child has gone missing and his brother had gone missing. But there was a, another way to go. I mean, if he really thought Helga was um, the linchpin behind all these disappearances and killings, he should have just taken him with him back to yeah. the future and taking yeah. him out of the timeline to see if that fixed it. But just in terms of the scene, um, I absolutely agree, Rory. It, it was shocking and it was hard to watch. And to go back to whoever asked the question early on about about European, I do wonder um, if that that struck me as something that perhaps North American writers would hesitate and directors would hesitate to show as much hmm. as they showed. Um, whereas there were no punches pulled here and it was, it was surprising to see it. And, and it felt like a very risky choice. Um, in terms but, of I, mean, I, I haven't, that. I, I haven't watched any German series really until now. I mean, I've watched, uh, stuff on Netflix, very dark Scandinavian stuff, thrillers, you know, and there's a lot of very graphic depictions of sort of child killing, sex yeah. abuse, some of these, uh, Scandinavian Norwegian crime dramas but i've never seen anything like this no you're right i mean he didn't hold back to the point it was a little unbelievable that helga actually survived that attack because yeah. he got hit to the head three four five times with a huge rock I mean, even one time is enough to kill you um, by a big guy ulrich's a big guy you know yeah yeah that was slightly unbelievable and i have to say one other thing about ulrich that i found unbelievable was that he didn't recognize his brother even though it was 33 years later when his brother's body shows up he it seemingly takes him a while to put two and two together. You know, he's like, oh, this is odd. This kid's wearing clothes from the 80s, you know, but that's your brother, dude. You would recognize him. I think you would recognize him. And I think you could have you could have slightly played it off. Um, I, I just think, again, this is an example where the writers have shown they're capable of doing a better job than they did with this. I think there are lots of ways you could have handled that. Like as soon as he sees it and establishes it's not his kid, he can't even look at it because he can't think about it. He's too emotionally distraught. Obviously, the fact that your brother has been gone for 33 years and nobody's thinking time travel at this point in the story, it's not even going to occur to him for a second that it's his brother. So they would ju- it would have just taken a few lines of dialogue, I think, to establish or give us a degree of plausibility behind that, that mm-hmm. we could sort of we could suspend our disbelief and imagine that he wouldn't have instantly recognized his brother. Right. Hmm. I want to say, I, I was just thinking, I, okay, I said all the dead sheep were in 2019, but now that I think about it, I think that was actually 1986 because I think it was old Egon who was questioning the, the sheep guy. Yeah, it was. Um, yes. But yes. so, um, but that raises the, the, the issue, sort of where I was going with that is that it seems like Noah is working as a priest in this small town and it's always the same age, mm-hmm. um, which, which I, I can't see how he's not, people aren't not noticing that. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Can I ask a dumb question? I feel this is are are we entirely certain that the priest we saw um giving confession to um 
to Helga's mother was Noah? I think maybe it wasn't. No, um, I think it is, yeah. Is it? Well, I'd like to know, how come no one's asking why a priest is rolling around in a really expensive-looking car with a driver? You know, it's like, that's what I wanted to know. And everyone, I don't know, did you guys notice, but everyone is driving high-end Mercedes and Audis. I was like, they're expensive cars. You know, I was like, wow, there must be a great, great uh, average wage over there, you know? Well, you know, until a moment ago, I had, you know, obviously realized Noah was never aging, and that was interesting. It's the one trait that sets him apart. But David's question is so on point, it, it's kind of a glaring plot hole at this point. Like, how does the t- town not notice this one dude doesn't age? Hmm. But who does uh, he have contact with? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's the big question. I mean, I guess, okay, so maybe that's the thing, is he's only the town priest in the 50s, is what you're saying, and then in 86 and 2019, he's just kind of lurking behind the scenes? Is that what we're saying? I don't know. Well, Yeah, I'm going to have possible. to watch this a third time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um i want to say though about what one i guess one of my other sort of like minor quibbles about this show is that it's it's a sort of one speculative element show which is time travel and i feel like at this point it's really hard to just have time travel and no other speculative elements and have it not seem familiar because we've seen so many time travel stories at this point so there was like a, a sort of sense like oh i've kind of seen this in like heroes. I kind of saw this in like whatever. Um, but I still love the show, but two of the moments that show why people keep making time travel shows, cause it just works is like, I, I thought, I thought where, um, where, um, Ulrich finds the picture of his brother and sees the shirt. It's the, um, wait, I can use my German here. The, uh, Atom Energy Nine Danke, uh, which means, um, nuclear power. No thanks. Um, hmm. and, 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 you know, makes the connection that it's, um, you know, with the body that they found. I just, that just sent a shiver down my spine. And, and likewise, the part where Charlotte is in the bunker and finds the crumpled up, um, wallpaper, uh, and you, you sort of make the connection like, oh, this is the, like, um, electric chair dungeon just in the future, you know, just in the future. Sure. Things like that. Just, yeah, it just, or, just or when, when Charlotte show. found, Charlotte found the picture of Ulrich in the newspaper. Completely. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Which, which to me was like twelve monkeys immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That I, the one that struck me was uh, Mickle in the school photos on the wall. I, I think it's kind of funny that his his siblings walked past those pictures presumably every day, and Mickle himself walked past those pictures every day and wasn't like, "Wait a damn second, how am I in this picture from 1986? No, but, but, no, but who looks at those pictures? Like, I, I don't know. I never looked at those. Oh, pictures. I do. I I used to love what. The, the outfits and the hair alone were worth <laughs> checking it out. Like if I had to wear those gym shorts, I'd kill myself. That's what's so great about it, though. Even if you did take the time to look, which most people probably don't, you might just think, "Oh, yeah, that guy kind of looks like me thirty years ago." Strange, but yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Well, someone on a side I was looking at pointed out that Mickle would have grown up to see himself born. It's a such a small town; everyone knows each other's business. So he would have been around when he was born, which would have been, can you imagine that? So that, that's an interesting point. And one of my, like, one of my original theories, um, about why I, I worked out pretty early on, I think. I mean, or I feel like I worked out early on that Mikkel was Jonas's dad. 
But I assumed that the reason he hanged himself was because he couldn't overlap, like he couldn't overlap time. There couldn't be two Mickles in the same time stream. But then, of course, that makes no sense because Mickles already been around for eleven years. So right. I'm still struggling to understand why the dad hanged himself. And I, I would hope we get more answers on that somewhere down the line. Everything you just said, I echo completely because I had the same yeah. thought process. And just now, I made I made the realization again that like, why? Why does it open with him killing himself then and there? And does it have something to do with the note? But I mean, the note is seemingly just tied into the arbitrary timing of the hanging, so I don't get it. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things. Like, if if I'm thinking about how you sort of construct the bones of a mystery, if you open a scene with a mystery like. At the beginning, one of the central mysteries is why did Jonas's dad hang himself? Um, if if that's one of the central mysteries, then we need to keep harking back to it, and we don't. I think it's probably not one of the central mysteries, which says to me that you should be wrapping it up before now, mm. before the end of this right. the series, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? And I guess obviously the reason he killed himself then and there is because it's on the eve of his younger self vanishing. But I'm not sure exactly why that's necessary per se, well, but that's obviously the connection. I wonder if it's just from the writer's perspective, he has to die. Otherwise, Jonas is going to come back from the past and be like, you're my dad. And it's going to, they're going to have all these like weird conversations about that. And it's going to totally derail the whole story. So he has to kind of be out of the picture um, at that point in the story. Would it be any weirder than a number of the other conversations Jonas ends up having with himself and with his his not grandmother and and all of these other things? But yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, Raphael. It's clearly linked to that this is the moment that Mikkel disappears. Mm-hmm. But why? Like to me, it makes more sense that you couldn't have two of them in the same time stream than that you had to have none of them in the time stream. Right. And also, why kill yourself? Why not just uh, hop to a different time period and live out your life anonymously? Who knows? You know? I don't know. Eating Raider bars and checking out the future. Right. Could, could, could I ask about the clockmaker? What you thought about that particular strand? Um, we see this guy in a, in a, in a clock and a watch shop in the 50s. Uh, Ulrich goes back to him initially. He leaves his mobile phone there, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we see him again. For me, initially, it wasn't, I wasn't clear what period we saw him in the second time, if it was the 80s or 2019. But then he has this elaborate, fantastic mechanical uh, clockwork device that is the, that creates the loop in time, the wormhole, whatever it is. Um, so I'm just curious to see what people thought about that particular guy. He was my favorite, basically. I mean, that was the the one plot line that intrigued me the most, and I wanted to know more. Uh, I think he was only around in the 80s, because he was already middle-aged yeah. in the 50s. Um, but that was definitely one of the things that kept me, you know, intrigued all along. See, whereas I, I found that one of the weaker strands, personally, just because uh, it was a little bit too info dumpy for my tastes. It was a little bit too much um, indulging. And I, I guess I would have liked those scenes better had we learned anything genuinely new. But I kind of feel like we just, the purpose of those scenes was to help stragglers and those of us feeling intimidated or left behind by the narrative to, to chew our cud for a little bit longer. <laughs> But wasn't there then a, a paradox then with the with the did did old Claudia give him 
I'm getting confused now. Excuse me, because it's been I've had, as I said, it's been a couple of weeks since we finished the show. You guys are a little bit fresher than me. Yeah, the, yeah. Old, where, old Claudia the, gave him the blueprints to build the machine in the 50s. Okay, so he was he was building. If I remember, was he building the machine in the 50s? He had started it. He, yeah, he just okay. started. Right, but okay. he he only finishes it when the one from modern times is sent back. That's when jo- old Jonas shows up with. Uh, does he show up with a new one? Correct. Yeah, no, no, yeah. o- well, old yes. Jonas has a suitcase, and the um, like really o- like beat up, well used time machine is in it that he's brought back from the future with him. Okay. Okay. I just want to point out that um, that guy's name, the clockmaker guy, is H.G. Tannenhaus, and I think the initials H.G. are not accidental. That's a clear reference to H.G. Mm. Wells, in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> uh, sort of along those lines, I also want to point out that uh, Charlotte's husband, Peter, is saying this serenity prayer. Uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to always tell the difference. Uh, and that is featured prominently in Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. And I'm sure that's an oh. intentional reference. The One of the lines that follows it in Slaughterhouse-Five is, among the things Billy Pilgrim could not change were the past, the present, and the future. Mm. Mm. Could be. And the, uh, with Peter, uh, again, we have this another subplot with Peter who goes to the male prostitute in the caravan on the side of the road. Uh, and then there's a suggestion of with Peter as well. There's something going on with Peter as well. Charlotte, who is the the cop, that's her husband. Right. Well, well, he's disposing of. He, he we see him dis, see him, him and Tronce dispose of Mads's body. Yeah. And I feel like they're also disposing of other bodies, but I'm not 100 percent sure mm. of that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, that's that's one of the things that confuses me the most is is how they got roped into that. Yeah, definitely confusing. And I mean, I might, I'm possibly reaching here, but um, you talked, Dave, earlier about red herrings. And in general, I enjoyed the red herrings. One of the red herrings was clearly that we were supposed to suspect Peter. Um, You know, we see him early on weeping and he's got the, he's got the soil. um, We we know he's keeping secrets. He's got the soil from what, uh, what Charlotte presumes is the murder scene. Mm-hmm. Um, in his shoes and it could only have come from there and so on, so on. And then when she starts investigating um, and she starts suspecting him, the first sort of thread that she brings in that gives us any sort of explanation for him being shifty is that he's patronizing this male prostitute. And I was like, mm, I don't love that. I don't love that, you know, we're, we're meant to suspect him. And this, this is meant to feed our suspicions this particular thing. I don't know if, if you see where I'm going with that. I think it's a delicate thing when you've got all these, these young boys disappearing that you want to cast suspicion on a character um, in part because he's patronizing male prostitutes and is a closet homosexual. I didn't love that. Mm. Mm. I'm not sure. Like I said, I could be reaching and just kind of overanalyzing there, but that's probably not a choice I would have made. Yeah, that, that, that didn't occur to me, but I think that's a fair point. Um, what would I have? I, I, okay, in terms of humor, I thought that um, Egon constantly thinking this must be about Satanism. That was kind of funny. <laughs> um, Very 80s, isn't it? 
that, yeah. that he like has this complete objection to to death metal, which I had to laugh that scene when he goes um, to to pay a visit to Ulrich, um, and he's going up the stairs, and Ulrich is listening to he's listening to some pretty hardcore music for the eighties. Mm-hmm. That that's I don't know, and I, I think maybe maybe that's a German thing, but I was like, damn, that that is some serious music for the eighties. That kind of stuff didn't really start coming at least onto my radar until well into the mid nineties, like basically death metal. I think that's pretty popular over there though. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, I've known like some Polish guys and stuff and they're big into bands like Rammstein and stuff like that. So they are, it's a, it's a big genre over there. You know? Oh yeah, I, I definitely. And it was a big genre here in the nineties too, but I'm just wondering, like he seems to have been seriously ahead of the curve on that one. Hmm. <laughs> And yeah, and Egon is so, super shocked by it. He's like, why do you listen to this music about people wanting to kill people? <laughs> I'd like to know more about the, the device in the, the strange bunker room where the kids end up. You know, the thing that goes around their ears, their eyes. When I saw that, I immediately thought uh, just OA was kind of jumping into my head. You know, wh- what, what is the purpose of, I know it's the, the time travel thing, but what, are, what, how does that work? That's what I wanted to know. Absolutely. I, I, my concern is that the writers probably don't even have that answer yet, but I hope they come yeah. up with a good one. <laughs> That's a bit what yeah. I meant about, I felt like we needed to be a little bit further up the pitch on that one, like at least understanding how kidnapping kids fits into it. Like, is this a matrix thing or like, why do they have to be kids? Why do they have to be from another time? Why, why, why? It's always kids, isn't it? Like the Dark yeah. Tower, you know, it's Ender's all, Game. It's, it's kids all are always the key. Okay. Male, male kids. Um. <laughs> it's innocence. It's innocence. <laughs> well, we'll see. My machine is powered by innocence. Well, these, these are not innocent kids. These are not innocent kids. No way. <laughs> well, well, so an idea I had. This did, I don't think this works, but I thought the reason maybe that they were putting the coins around their necks was because if they're sending them through time like that using the machine that they need something that's going to like home home in on its, own, on its own time. Right. So if you wanted to send somebody from say um, 2019 to 1986, if you mm. put a coin from 1986 around their neck, maybe it like finds its way home, but then it doesn't seem to actually work that way. So, but I thought that was, maybe yeah. they need the money to make a phone call. Cause that's almost taking a page. <laughs> that's almost taking a page out of somewhere in time with Christopher Reed. Remember that one from the eighties yeah, yeah, yeah. where he had oh, the yeah. penny in his pocket and ultimately that's his undoing. He looks down at it and looking at the date from the future actually snaps him out of it and he wakes up in a different time. And that's a great movie by the way, but, um, spoilers, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all the coins in this were from 1986. So I, I'm not, that was my first thought too, David, but I'm not sure if that's exactly what the thing is. Or maybe 1986 is central more than the other timelines somehow. Hmm. Well, maybe maybe they got irradiated by the um, nuclear accident or something, and that's they need that. To, it, it's got the cesium, whatever they need to go through time or something. I don't know. Well, speaking of nuclear accidents, what do you think is going on with the post-apoc- uh, post-apocalyptic future of 2052? I mean, he, we basically only get 20, 30 seconds there. You know, he wakes up and he gets knocked out. But Well, no, but we do see that the nuclear power plant obviously melted down because we can see the cracked um, towers in the background. And it says, you know, like um, uh, radiation out. warning stuff. So, And it's still But before that, ash. don't we have this whole wormhole opening, opening over the whole thing, don't we? The, 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 in 2019, I'm, I'm lost now. <laughs> in 2019, uh, isn't there a, we have the wormhole opening in the, 
in the sky in the basement oh, okay. in the ba- mm-hmm. well in the basement first of all and that's when the two guys touch and we have Jonas that's transported but then outside there's a whole thing going on over the nuclear power plant as well yeah so alexander and um is it Regina, that, i think see that yeah well in that event you're talking about is actually you know when the two kids are touching each other in the room that's connecting 1953 to 1986 but then hmm. Helga gets transported further to eight. It's kind of like the moment they touch the 53 Helga from 53 ends up in 86 and Jonas from 86 ends up in 2052. 2019. Yeah. 52. I mean, don't ask me how or why. I don't know. Wait. So you think there are two Helgas in the same time stream in the eighties? There's a Dalton kid in the same. By the last minute of the show. Yes. Well, yeah. But the, the kid must get back to the fifties cause he grows up to be the middle-aged guy working at the power plant in the eighties. That's a thing. It's confusing listeners. It's a confusing <laughs> yeah. show. Well, we've yet to see in season two, how they're going to handle that. Cause right now, nine-year-old Helga is in 1986, but does that mean obviously middle-aged Helga from 86 should vanish if it's by back to the future rules? No, but see, uh, old um, dementia Helga remembered waking up in that room. Dementia. So, so that has happened before. <laughs> I see. Okay, so it's all parts of the infinite loop, basically. Yeah. I, I don't know. Have you done any deep dives on, on you know forums and you know? Uh, I tend not to do that. I know people. I know I've had friends watching other shows, and they and they love going into Reddit and subreddits, and they do deep dives on the theories. I, I don't know if you've done any of that. I don't. I just like to take the program as it is. But I don't. Have you come across anything weird? I don't do the extra credit work ever. <laughs> no. I actually love to go on the internet and into those deep dives and message boards, but I haven't seen that much chatter about this show yet. I think it's still kind of flying under the radar because it's German mm. language, but I've been trying to spread the word. I don't mm. tend to do message boards, uh, but I, a lot of times, the, whatever is interesting from that makes it into YouTube videos, and I tend to watch the YouTube videos. I watched a couple for this, but I didn't have, like, I, like I was telling Rory before we started, I just finished rewatching the show like 45 minutes before we started recording this, so I didn't have time to do much else besides just watch the show twice. Um, but yeah, so I, I did see, okay, so I'm just going to throw this out. I think this is stupid, but I'll just mention it. So, um, we know that Noah's real name isn't Noah because he mm-hmm. named himself Noah because he says his time machine is going to be his Ark. Um, so he obviously has taken that name for himself. Um, and I saw a video and it said, is Bartosh Noah? And I, I didn't even watch it because I hate that so much. And also their eyes are different <laughs> colors, I noticed. So, but I've been burned before with thinking the young actor didn't look like the old actor, but <laughs> I I do love fan theories, whether it's Star Wars or anything. I mean, I think that could be because we mentioned Bartosz earlier. I didn't really understand the point of his character. I mean, he was one of the superfluous ones. So maybe I think he's that... Noah. Yeah. I, I do yeah. think he. I that was the first thing that occurred to me because I think they look a little bit alike. <laughs> wow, I, no, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't gone near that. That's fascinating, <laughs> Dave. Um, but yeah, I did. I did think that that was, and there was something else that was dropped um, that I think is going to come up because. Um, Egon was asking, um, the, um, Ulrich's grandma who, so she, when she first arrives in the town in the fifties, she's letting out, um, this is, this is Ulrich's grandmother, uh, is, is letting out Agnes. some rooms. Thank you. Uh, Agnes is letting out some rooms, um, from Egon's family. And Egon is making chit chat, presumably because she's so beautiful um, and, and elegant, and he seems quite struck with her. And he's making chit chat about why, she, you know, 
of everywhere in the world that she could move to, why has she moved to Vinden? And she says, oh, my grandmother grew up here. And he says, oh, what was your grandmother's name? And before she can answer the question, they're all distracted. That struck me as a significant, like there's a reason why we weren't mm. allowed to hear the grandmother's name, and that's going to come up again. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Is she the grandmother? Did she travel through time to this time? Interesting. There's something going on there. Is, is Agnes the grandmother? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Okay, okay. Is she, is she like her own, quote-unquote, her own grandmother that she, like, <laughs> assumes? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so now we're getting into some predestination type stuff here. No, no, we, no. Not, we need to... I, no, no, I don't mean like that. I mean that, like, she was a person living in whatever year that would be, uh, like 1900 or so, right? Um, and then she's traveled forward to 1953, and she's posing as her own granddaughter, even though it's the same person. That's what I'm saying. Mm, maybe. Fascinating. We should have got the guy on the panel. I can't remember his name. Remember that time traveling movie Primer about the guys that make the the time traveling machine in their garage? Yeah, that's a great. Movie. What was his? What's his name? I believe he's uh, like a Shane time traveling. Ruth, I think. Yes, I believe he's like the go to guy for this. He should watch this show. Yeah. <laughs> um. Also, just I have a note here that um, Noah tells Bartosh, "We will free humanity from its immaturity, from its pain." So I don't know how you do that with time travel, but. That, well, that, it sounds like it sounds like his deal is basically, if I'm remembering this correctly, he's seeing the girl who was seeing Jonas, and he, you know, the girl and Jonas kind of get back together a little bit, and Bartosh feels spurned. Is that much accurate? Yeah, yeah, so, totally. So maybe uh, this whole thing is really all about him wanting to create a time travel machine to get uh, Jonas out of the picture, so he can just have the girl already. That's pretty elaborate. <laughs> she just hit him over the head with a stick. <laughs> but but I think that the question that this comes back again to I, I do wish we knew a little bit more about what he's trying to achieve and the the fact that he names himself Noah, like of all the biblical figures, I mean, Noah's role is to preserve the pieces of, of the world that are deemed worthy while the rest of it is destroyed. And so I do hope, I do hope that we're going to get something a little deeper than yet another evil guy who wants to destroy the world to save the world because that's so done. <laughs> the destroy the world to and, remake the world thing. And just jumping forward to 2052, we're in this kind of Mad Max situation. There's drones flying overhead. This Jonas shows up. Uh, there's a kind of gang or whatever they are roaming gang shows up but there's no indication of who who they are yet but that they seem to know about time travel because the last line yeah. is welcome to the future yeah oh yeah no they they were totally right for him there yeah yeah actually like the more i the more i look at my notes here i don't think i think i feel like noah just says like whatever bullshit he needs to to manipulate the person he's talking to because at one point he <laughs> says we're going to free humanity from its pain. At another point, he says, like, the reason we can't change the past is because pain is so important and it's made us who we are. And then he, like, tells people about God. And then he's like, no, there is no God. I just feel like there's no consistent theme to his ideology as he's expressing it. Mm. Mm -hmm. I guess it just changes over time. <laughs> time heals all. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Um, all right. I have one other note here. I think that I want to mention is that um, 
this this strains my credibility where Enos says um, that uh, Mikkel told her that he was from the future. And she says, I thought he just had an overactive imagination. Like Mikkel is like 12 or whatever, 11 or 12. He should be able to talk about the future in so much detail that it should erase any doubt whatsoever that he's just like making it up. Right. Like, I'm so glad you brought that up because you just reminded me. Yeah. As I was watching the show, think about it. If you could go back in time, 10, 15 years, if nothing else, you'd be the richest person on earth because you would invent everything that ever happened. You would know everything that's going to happen. You'd certainly buy stock in Apple. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Amazon, eBay, PayPal, all of it. You'd be like Zuckerberg, Bezos, all of them in one. But if you're 11 or 12, are you aware of the, you know, I mean, you know, if you're 11 or 12, He's are, aware you, of are you aware? Well, no, but I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, See, I'm wondering, I, could he point? Yeah, but, but he gets older, right? Like he doesn't stay 12 the True. whole time. And, and so maybe he doesn't think of it the moment he arrives. But by the time he's 15, it probably should have occurred to him. And the other question I had is, why does he never try to go home again? Or does he? Yes. Like he no, just makes exactly. one attempt and then he's like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, should have been exploring. Considering that on his one attempt, he actually like was able to talk kind of to his dad. Who didn't try very hard to follow that voice. Now, he would have been exploring every inch of that cave until he found his way home if he was a normal kid. But, I mean, anyway, your main point is so accurate. I mean, if you were born in 2007 and you disappeared in 2019, you would still go back to 1986 with all the information that you have of Obama and Facebook and, you know, everything modern. And people would... I'd be Googling. I'd be Googling. Who is this Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerberg guy? (laughs) Maybe Maybe I should get in touch with him, give him, you know, some money. Unless even young Mickle realized he better not fuck with the timeline, so he better keep his mouth shut? I don't know. But why is he telling people he's from... I mean, that would make perfect sense, but why is he telling people he's from the future, then? He's even telling frickin' Hannah, who he doesn't even know. Yeah. That lying skank. <laughs> because he, he, he didn't... Just... <laughs> He obviously didn't take advantage of it because, I mean, they're living in a kind of a it's shown that they're living in a kind of a rundown house. Um, you know, it's it's not they're not one of the more affluent people in the in the town. So obviously he didn't, you know, I know we're joking about buying shares on Amazon or whatever. Obviously, he didn't do any of that. Yeah, like he didn't even place bets in Vegas. Like even if you maybe didn't have the creativity to think about playing the stock market, you could at least place bets on some big global events that you know how you would remember who won the Super Bowl one year. Oh, absolutely. The whole Back to the Future 2 thing. You'd make a fortune yeah, from just be, that alone. Yeah, you'd be Biff. Hmm. Right, but, but my <laughs> point is even less less about making money or whatever. And just in the conversations between Mikkel and Inez, wouldn't she be like, oh, well, who's the president in um, 2019? And he would tell her and and, and then it would all the stuff he said would come true, you know? I think... I had the impression that by the end she believed him. I I had I took that conversation slightly differently that what she was saying is that she didn't believe him at first. She clearly believed him toward the end. The the another question that wasn't solved for me is how does she end up with the letter and why does she keep it from Jonas when it's destined for him? So he gives it to her but she but the version he gives her is opened. Whereas she oh, we see her open it. We see her sitting there with the sealed envelope waiting for exactly, which, by the way, by this point, she clearly believes it. Otherwise, she would have been like, yeah, whatever, and opened the envelope straight away. 
But for whatever reason, she takes That's a good this, point, yeah. this as yeah, yeah. you know important that she heed this directive that she only open the envelope at precisely ten twelve p.m. on the, on the date indicated, November fourth. So she does this, and she doesn't give the letter to Jonas. And so I'm I'm a bit confused about how she comes by the letter in the first place because later they're like, well, we gave you, I gave, we gave. This is old Jonas talking to young Jonas. We mm. gave the letter to our grandmother. But that's not how it happened. She already had the letter. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's maybe, good point. maybe um, old Jonas went, snuck into the house as he's want to do, took the letter off the uh, table. No, I don't. How would he give it to her without that being weird? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. How. And if you're gonna if you're gonna write a, a farewell note to your son that contains such bombshells as. I'm actually the little kid who disappeared. Don't you think he would do a better job of explaining why you had to hang yourself? Dear son, time is a thingy that's thingy, thingy, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm, I, I love you very much. And I'm actually this little kid you knew. Uh, I had to hang myself also. Kisses and hugs. Well, I suppose yeah, you, couldn't, you couldn't give them a heads up about being the kid that's going to vanish because you'd still want yourself to vanish. But no, again. he doesn't get that's that's why he can't get the letter until after Mickle has because it does say in the letter that I'm I'm Mickle. Like it does say that right. in the letter. Yeah, he and that's already, why he couldn't be He explains all the stuff we already knew, but doesn't explain any of the stuff we need to know. Yeah, he doesn't explain why he had to kill himself, basically. Yeah. Mm. Which is one of the things that Which is the whole point of a suicide note. So what's kind of funny is listening to this whole convo, we all like the show, but we're all thoroughly confused by it. We're still hopeful, though, right? I mean, we want to like it, I think. Oh, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the like show. It. I mean, and I think being confused, like being confused is actually the most satisfying story for me. Like, like maybe confused is the wrong word, but, you know, like when there are there, like like any um, the mystery is always more interesting than the resolution to the mystery. Right. And, when you're intrigued for the further resolutions. Yeah. And as long as it can keep the mystery alive um, and not make you feel like there's nothing there, like that's the most satisfying feeling for me. Right. Yeah. I, I, I still really like the show. I think they overreached on it. I think they, they, they kept the volume at 11. Um, and I would still think, I think there's still plenty of mystery there without quite as much confusion. I don't think we need quite that much confusion for it to still be mysterious and challenging. Um, but, you know, the, the fact that you sort of nitpick like this can never be, and we say this on the show all the time, can't really be, you can't take that as an indication that, that we don't like the show. Um, right. Because anything could be nitpicked, first of all, especially um, if it involves time travel. Um, and sometimes the nitpicking is in and of itself a gesture of affection. No, absolutely. Look at Star Wars and its fan base. <laughs> do you think? Do you think in season two are they going to have to pair it back? Because now we're going to have four times. Because Ulrich is still back in fifty three. You've got the eighties and and twenty nineteen, and now you have twenty fifty two. Do you think it, that having four different time zones is sustainable for for viewers to keep their heads around? Uh, no. Doesn't doesn't seem like they've been that concerned about that yeah. so far. So. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, what do you think the ultimate end game for the show is? Like, how do you see it resolving itself? Will there be some giant reset button where the timelines are straightened out and certain events have never happened? Or will it just be, 
I don't know. Like, where's it going? Or, or is it one of these things that just, uh, it's a loop and it's back to the start again and they're running through the forest and, and Mikkel goes missing? I I have two sort of reflections on that. One is that I hope it doesn't go the way of Lost. Uh, I, I gave up on Lost years before it ended, but I do recall quite liking the first couple of seasons. Um, and I, I hope that they resist the temptation to become ever more complicated to the point where it's just pure what the fuckery throughout. Um, mm-hmm. That's one. Two, I think because of the way that they've set this up, um, the, the key kind of observation there would be what old Jonas said about every decision for something is a decision against something else. Because the way they have this all set up, there is no way that they could reset, at least no way that I can imagine, that they could reset or influence the timeline that doesn't involve destroying some of the things. There, there's going to be collateral damage. There are going to be lives destroyed, people erased from existence that don't deserve it. Um, I don't see any way of getting around that, which is, I think, an interesting way to end a show. Sure. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, I even mean, my... Jonas has said that he shouldn't exist. I mean, maybe at some point he won't. I have to say my impression is that the sec- – I, I, I actually really love this show. But my impression is that the second season is not going to be good because <laughs> I feel like like – you know, it's it's already like they've established so much stuff. Like, how much freedom is there to put other events in the interstices, or, or just like change things, which is going to make it even more confusing? I feel like they probably. I mean, I I can't imagine even imagine how much work it was to think out this one season uh, and uh, plot it all out and everything. I can't imagine that. And I, I like um, Rory was saying, like they probably. I can't imagine that they had super high expectations that they were going to get a second season. So I, I suspect they're going to be kind of scrambling to put us to throw together the second season and it's going to not be satisfying. I would be happy to be proven wrong, but, but that's my sort of completely uninformed impression. I share your concerns. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's obviously a level of JJ Abrams mystery box stuff going on here where right now you kind of think they're probably just throwing some stuff at the wall. They don't necessarily have all the answers. And yeah, it's like hard to sustain show this mysterious over the long run with so many twists and turns so it'll be a challenge mm-hmm. all right cool so i just uh, have one other note here just be- for for listeners i want to provide the service that if you don't know what sic mundus creatus est means which is uh, on the door uh, that leads into different times it means thus the world was created not clear mm-hmm. why that's on the door but uh you know now you don't have to google it I did it for you. It's cool because it's Latin. <laughs> yeah. And see, that's what I want to know. Who wrote that? Was it Noah? Probably. I mean, he does have that whole, um, you know, emerald tablet thing tattooed on his back. So presumably he did it or he's affiliated with whoever did it, I would imagine. Plus he's cut. So he's obviously doing some serious push-ups in that bunker. That, like, that, that guy's true. in some pretty implausibly good shape for given what we see him doing, riding around in cars and taking confession all day. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> so we've been speaking with Aaron Lindsay, Raphael Jordan, and Rory Carroll. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, that was great. Thank you. Thank you. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Aaron Lindsay, Raphael Jordan, and Rory Carroll for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to Nicholas Samita, Eric Kalfas, and John Draz, who all just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. 
Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution, you can do that via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to John H.D. Dewey, who just signed up to make regular monthly payments to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. I also want to thank Serial Box for sponsoring today's show. Check out their new thriller, False Idols. And remember that you can get a discount on the first season of any Serial Box series by visiting SerialBox.com and using the promo code GEEK18. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit GeeksGuideShow.com. To learn more about your host, visit DavidBarrKirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.